Would you or anyone you know be interested in the best of what we've learned from over 350 expert interviews? Business expert interviews just like this one you're about to listen to. Plus, I'll share what we discovered spending $50,000 to go through over 100 years of business success research. Thousands of evidence-based scientific studies on what really works. Visit bestbusinesscoach.ca for more info on how, in 90 days or less, you can get eight better business habits or get three times your money back. That's 90 days to eight types of better business, fitness, and mindset habits. These will determine who survives and thrives in these unusual times and who doesn't. Visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. You'll discover our new business coaching and accountability program for business, fitness, and mindset all in one. You'll also learn how you can get over $11,336 in free bonuses for only $1. Go to bestbusinesscoach.ca for more info. That's bestbusinesscoach.ca, like Canada or California. See you there. Good to go. This is being recorded. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by CEO of Kaizen Mindset Limited, Rich Johnson. Rich spent 17 years in the military, and now he's a leadership development consultant, which means he helps supercharged leaders to take the step back they deserve with zero stress by helping their teams work better with military precision. So I've asked Rich to join us here today because teamwork is such an important part of running any business. Uh, I mean, he's he's got the goods. So Rich, thank you so much for joining us today, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, Daryl. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. We've been chatting for a bit. So Rich, Rich has been like my brother from another mother. And it was so funny. We both showed up to this interview. This is not <laughs> planned or scheduled. This was totally... It's just, it's just funny. So, um, yeah, I mean, not matching shirts, but we've, we've gone for the same color palette. <laughs> we got the color, we so, got yeah. the palette down. Yeah, the white wall, <laughs> the palette. So we're, we're, on, we're on there. So, um, yeah, anyways. I painted this last night. I, I knew, you know, I was <laughs> up all night green. doing this. Yeah. <laughs> the wife's going to kill As me. <laughs> As you guys can tell, Richard's got a great personality and he is such a team player and it is just an honor and a pleasure to be here with him on this. And Rich, before we get into some of this other stuff that we want to talk about, I want to get like, how did you even get started? Can we talk a bit about your journey and development of these leadership skills and especially like the team component? Because it's such a strength for you, collaborating with others, bringing people together, helping everyone understand their role to play. And I, it's just such a it's such an important skill. How did you even get into that? Like, were your family, were your parents running teams? Were they entrepreneurs? How did you get into the team kind of, you know, leadership role to begin with? Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird journey for me because I was, um, you know, when I was growing up, my dad was, uh, he was like a shift manager um, at a parcel delivery firm. And my mum was, uh, she worked to check out, um, you know, big retail chain, but uh, she was putting herself through accounting school. So they, they kind of had this weird schedule to look after me and my brother. And my dad would work super early in the morning. He'd be like, you know, 4.20 leaving the house. Um, and he'd be there to pick us up from school. And then mum would be um, there for us in the morning, but then we wouldn't see her, you know, in, in the evening um, because she was putting herself through this long um, accountancy course. Um, so I was, I was kind of a shy kid, to be honest. I was, uh, you know, got a bit bullied in school. Um, 
and then I kind of matured out of that um played rugby for a little bit uh and then I, I broke uh, I broke my collarbone a few times and it was really weak so uh yeah the rugby the rugby kind of stopped and I just I decided one day that ah oh, you know I should really yeah I really want to join the army that's what I wanted to do because I want to yeah, I want to get out of the hometown and see the world so I was this shy kid going into the careers office and thinking hey you know um yeah what I'd want to do and uh I took it so seriously that my dad uh took a day off work one day and just and went into the careers office to talk to the guy and he kind of came back and said look you know I know you're going to do this but and uh he had um the booklet with all the jobs in and he just highlighted three of them and he said these are the three that I'll support you doing because you know you get something out of it so it was kind of like a mechanic um uh, an electrician and uh, I can't even remember what the third one was I think it may have been like a policeman or something like that and I thought well I'm no snitch so the police is out <laughs> um so I then went to uh I was like oh okay so I could do the electrician thing um so I started going to a college um applied for a college program to be uh, an electrician uh my maths wasn't that great so I failed the uh maths exam but they said, oh, you know, we can, you can be a plumber. We just, you know, you can't kill yourself with water. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll be a plumber. So I um, was putting myself through this, uh, the course uh, to be a plumber. So I was, got a job as a plumber's mate and then found out I had got into the army. So I was like, cool, you know, I've been and done you know, the runs and things like that. And I, I remember I was so nervous after doing the run um, and I got on the trip, you know, I was 15 and nine months or something like that. I think it was the youngest that you could be by like a day to go and do this, um, uh, the, you know, the physical testing. And uh, so I was so nervous. And I got the train back with all these guys, you know, from like 18 to 25. You know, they're, they're all like having beers. And, you know, is it, like, do you want a beer? And I remember just... I'd never had like a beer before so i was like oh okay yeah i'll have this beer uh, i had like half of it and I, I just went i was sick everywhere you know i just absolutely carried the thing and i just I just stood up and went and sat in another carriage and just kind of like waited. you know i was got got in you know got out pay phone like hey monkey come and pick me up i've got sick everywhere and it, it was like a real like oh, sure I want to be doing this and then I realized because I was it was it was the thing I was most scared of so I thought well it's definitely the thing that I have to do so um I went to a um it's like an adapted like um basic training so for um under 18s you can go okay. to a, a, a different basic training where you still do all the soldiering oh. skills, but they okay. uh, they top up your education as well. So um, it turns out that I didn't do too bad in school. So they offered me uh, an engineering program. They said, you know, you can you can do like a more advanced maths. Um, you can do engineering instead of English. Um, so I ended up okay. doing something like that. So yeah, it was uh, you know work going like you might be on like a machine gun range in the morning and then you may be coming back and doing you know like an engineering project what? So like and 15, that, yeah, 16 I mean, years was, old and you're shooting machine guns and doing engineering yeah, and your friends are still sitting in english class 
hating their lives watching the clock. You know, it was just a completely different experience. Um, and it, I think it, it kind of, I came out of my shell more and more mm-hmm. um, just because of that environment. You know, I kind of realized then this is all about the team, you know, and the, the team player, the, the people who aren't team players in the military do not survive because you can mm-hmm. always get something covered up. You know, somebody will always, oh, you know, hey, you know, your shirt's kind of on wrong. Let me let me sort that out for you. You know, I remember, um, I was, you know, we were kind of stood on parade waiting for uh, an inspection um, by like the big cheese, and uh, <laughs> I sneezed, uh, and I was kind of stood in like the middle rank. So there's people in front of me in a line, there's people behind me in a line, and I was kind of in the middle, and I sneezed, <laughs> and um, I got jailed. That the guy was like, you sneezed without permission. <laughs> these two, these two big burly guys came and like dragged, like dragged me away. Yeah, you know, it was like lever, 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 lever. I was like, oh. So I got taken to the jail on camp, and this guy was just like, you know, handed me this big. You know, I don't know if people even know, like the the sort of millennials may not know what these are, but it's a big, heavy, like floor buffer. You probably used okay. it in like martial yeah. arts, you know, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so the manual, not the electric. The electric was too easy. <laughs> so we got the the no, manual the one. Just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this this guy was like, you start buffing this. You know, I mean, this floor is like glass. You know, there's like it's like a marble, and How old are you, you know, it's so shiny. Uh, I was probably sixteen and a half at this point. Yeah, okay, so you're terrified. You know, These guys are like oh, men, I mean, like <laughs> man muscle and like man bodies, and you're like sixteen year old kid. And you sneeze, yeah, yeah. And they're just they're waking you over the coals. Yeah, and it was it was uh, it was so stupid because I was like I, I kind of hit puberty early, and I, you know I needed to shave. I probably had this from like fifteen, and <laughs> but there was there was a guy who had literally never shaved and and you know didn't need to, and um, what, like one of the instructors came up and he was like, "Can you shave this morning?" This guy was like, uh, "No, cool, I don't need to." And he's like. Everyone shaves. <laughs> he jailed this kid. You know, this kid gets carted off. <laughs> He's probably got like one, you know, wispy hair on his chin or something like that. And this guy was like, oh, you know, you're you're getting the high jump for this. So anyway, I was in this, I was in this jail house. And I was buffing the floor, you know, just oh my god, this buffer's so heavy. And this guy comes up to me. He's like, that's not how you do it. Give me the buff. He, I was like, cool. He said, that's how you do it. You get on that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was sweating. Yeah. I was panicking. I was like, oh, I don't know how long I'm in this jail for. And then, and then I see the guy come in. You know, he was marching double time. He was marched into James. like, you take over the buffer. And it was the guy who was standing in front of me. And it turns out that when I'd sneezed, a little bit of it had gone on this guy's shirt. <laughs> and he'd been jailed because I'd sneezed. Yeah, so I was not Mr. Popular. <laughs> yeah, with that, that guy was like, oh, you know, you really... Uh, we got like an expression, it's, it's um, like Jack. Uh, and it's like Jack the lad. You know, you're kind of out doing doing things by yourself and you know, you're, you're out for yourself. And yeah, oh. Jack, Jack the lad. I think it's like an old, um, like 1960s sort of cartoon character. This guy's okay. just kind of out for out for himself, 
Um, mm. it, is, it is literally the worst thing that you can be called in all seriousness in, in the mm. military. Like in the British military, mm. the worst thing you'd be called is like, oh, he's Jack. Because it's, um, you know, it is literally like he's selfish, he's self-centered, he's a bit of a jerk, he's out for himself. Um, <laughs> there's a tradition um, that is put, it's called Jack Brew. So you make like a cup of tea or coffee. You just make it for yourself. You don't say, does anyone want, does anyone want a tea, coffee? So like, if you get your like coffee out, it's for everyone. It's not just for you. Uh, if you if you make a Jack brew and someone says, oh, hey, can I uh, can I have a sip of your brew? They go, yeah, yeah, you can have it. You can take a sip and then just throw the rest away. And that was disgusting. It's the, it's the Jack brew. So that okay. is like, the the team spirit is kind of beaten into you, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. like Hell Week. And from anybody that's listening to this from Canada or the U.S. knows about Hell Week for the Navy SEALs, and it's like that in the sense of one, they just beat you down physically and mentally. But then it's almost like you said, if you're not a team player, you won't you won't survive. Is what mm. I've, what I've heard. Like you really have to rely on each other. So what were some of the biggest challenges? I mean, obviously, you know, getting. Sounds like you're getting, you know, like that 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 initiation, you know, like you're getting yeah. beat down, put put in your place, so to speak, where now you they they tear you down. So now you have to be built up through accomplishment or through Yeah, it's it's really um it's a really gradual process and there's probably um I don't think there's like science behind it as such, but I think if you looked at yeah. it in like a psychological way, you, there'd probably be a lot of evidence base in there you know, for doing stuff. So, I mean, like the first term where I was in, you know, where I was put in jail for sneezing, something like that, that is, you know, that's the, that's the hardest point. And it's all, it's essentially all stick. There's not a lot of carrot in there where you're getting like praise for doing something well. And then yeah. you kind of move into the second term and you get more, it's like, Hey, you know, guys, this is really good. Um, and then you know you actually get you get praised for the stuff that you do well, and you still get you know um, beat on for the stuff that you're you're not doing so good at. And then the third term is it's the hardest term, and you know I mean by no means I'm saying this is um, you know like it's not hell week. I'm not trying to compare it to that. Yeah. I'm just saying that the third term is you wouldn't be able to do it straight out of the gate. You know, you physically you don't have the skill set, you don't have the physical capacity because that's been built up, you know, in the unit PT and things like that. Um, but then it's also the easiest because you're not getting, um, you know, th there's no like pointless stuff in there. It's like, hey, this is your next time in. You're outside, um, you know, the PT hall at 0800 which actually means 0750 because you know you're five minutes before five minutes before so you're always mm -hmm. 10 minutes early for every single time you know and you you know right right place right time right equipment right attitude and you just mm. you just kind of there and there's nothing they can you know there's, there's some little stuff that they'll throw in there so they they'll go all right you know wait for one of the instructors we'll march you down and then they won't turn up so you stuck there between, well, they told us to wait here, but they also told us this time in, and you just got to make like a command decision and just kind of go, well, we're going to march ourselves down there. You know, we're going to mm. salute officers on the way down. And then, you know, you turn up and the DS are there, you know, the directing staff are there going, good, good choice guys. You know, you didn't just wait around, you actually made the decision. 
Um, and that, that was kind of my, my experience of third term that you can actually, and it, you know, it was, it was shocking for me to find myself in third term saying, look guys, we, we probably should just go to this you know, time in and we'll, um, cause th- there's an attitude of, we'll just take the hit. You know, if, if we end up getting punished for this, then we'll just take it because this is what we all thought was the right thing to do. Um, and it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of shocked me to find myself being one of the people that was saying, well, yeah, let's just make a decision and, and do something, you know, whereas in first term and you know, before that I'd have been stood at the back going, well, I'll just do what everyone else does. Yeah, so I there. really okay. come out of my yeah. shell in that sort of yeah. respect. Yeah, no, I yeah. love that. And a lot of this for you, like, um, I mean, I did cadets and that sort of stuff as a kid, but I've never been in the military. And I know there's going to be military people listening to this, but there's also going to be pure civilians living to the, listening to this. And I think it's an interesting thing to think about when you talk about, like, like even just talking about those first three terms, it's like they really try to purge the weak people and develop a culture of grit and determination, it sounds like, because you mm-hmm. say, like, the first term, it's all stick, no carrot. And I mean, this is a movie. It's, movies aren't real life, but I know that in Fight Club, I don't know why I thought of that, like that the, they have the guys show up to the house and they have to stand outside for two days and all they do is get berated in the beginning, you know, like, you suck, you're too tall, you're too fat. If they're blonde, they're too blonde. If they're like, whatever they are, it's not good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to get rid of yeah. those we, that weakness, that people. And that's like, that's, I see that I've, I've trained with a lot of like Olympic athletes and high, like world-class champions. And there's that mentality to like preserving the inner core and, and having to almost earn that rite of passage. And then it's like, once things start getting acknowledged for what you're good at, and then you kind of feel like you've earned your place there. And then it sounds like the third term, you said right place, right time, right attitude. And you also kind of like group think, because one of the things that I think is so empowering that you bring to the business world is this whole like kind of chain of command enabling people to be trained able and prepared to step in if leadership is removed like all that sort of stuff and that's where this after 17 years it's almost like second nature for you and and um just breaking that down and understanding i mean i I know a lot of people say it can be a struggle going from military life to civilian life because other people don't have that discipline like all candidness to have people here. I I was I was late for our call, not because I was late. I was at my computer, but I got caught up with something. And like you said, when you're talking about you're always five, 10 minutes early for everything, like that's just such a good discipline to have. And now you're in the civilian world where like, you know, you got people just, you know, not not as dialed in like that. And that's a big adjustment. So can you speak to a little bit more of maybe some of the challenges that you felt? Uh, in collaborating with a team, in leading a team, in organ, like, like, you know, again, we're still at the kind of the early stage of your career. Were there phases and levels uh, that you had to go through? Yes. I mean, I think one of the things in the military um, that people almost see, but don't want to bring across is, is that um, level hierarchy. You know, it's not it's not a flat hierarchy. There's distinct levels that you know you can, and you everyone wears the pension plan on the chest. You know, so you can see like, oh, you know, that guy's a, you know, he's a corporal, he's a sergeant, he's a staff sergeant. This guy's a warrant officer, you know, captain major. You know, and there's there's a distinct strata there. Um, I think that was that's one of the things that's the hardest to adjust to because you might have guys who are older who are joining the army. I've, I've spoken to someone who, you know, joined the military at you know, 26, 27, I think. 
And the, the guy who was the instructor who was taking him through basic training was 24 years old. You know, he's like a, a, a real flyer. This guy was like, you know, oh, I saw myself as, um, you know, a peer. And I was like, well, that's, that's not what you were. Like you're asking to join an organization with a distinct set of skills, values, um, and hierarchy. You know, you, you mold to that. They don't mold to you. So, you know, you can go to this guy and say, hey, you want to go for a beer after work? He is, he is going to, you know, give you the high jump because it's not, it's not your place to, to be there. Whereas in, you know, the, your average job, you know, you can always you know, go to your manager and say, hey, do you want to go for a, do you want to go for a coffee and have a chin wagon? That's not what the military is, especially at the level of, I mean, people, people see like full metal jacket and things like that and think, oh, you know, that's how the, the military is. And it's like, well, that's like a very brief snapshot of the 14 weeks from civilian to soldier or you know, Marine or whatever. Um, people see that and think, oh, that is the military, you know, especially when, you know, we've got Hollywood involved now, you know, and they they produce content that they think, you know, oh, that, yeah, this is accurate because I've, I spoke to someone who was in Vietnam and he said that was it. And he was like, yeah, it was 40 years ago. You know, the military moves on as well. We're just kind of, 10 years behind, um, you know, the, the civilian sector. So, yeah, I mean, the big, that's the biggest adjustment going out, but it's also the biggest adjustment coming in back into the mm-hmm. civilian sector as well is not having that um, rigid hierarchy. You know, I was talking to a consultant the other day who said, like, well, you know, I can just ring the managing director of the company, which is probably equivalent to me, as like a sergeant in a unit, just ringing the commanding officer and going, "Hey, Colonel, listen, you know, I've got this, yeah, this, this, yeah. this, you know." I want to speak to the manager. That's the whole yeah, yeah. Yeah. going on. Now. It, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's certain places where that absolutely can happen, and you know, I've I've made that phone call, um, but it, it doesn't it doesn't just uh, hey yeah listen I'm just letting you know there's there's more hoops that you have to jump through. If you did something like that, you'd be going door to door just getting berated you know <laughs> um so yeah I, I think that's the biggest i think the, the biggest misconception is that i'm trying to bring that rigid hierarchy into the civilian sector and that is not what i'm trying to do at all because there's definitely a time and a place for it i don't think unless you're talking you know um civil service sort of civil sector contracts like you know the fire department when there's you know a burning building, they have a rigid hierarchy. Yeah. You know, yeah. If in yeah. Uh, in like the emergency department in the ED or the ER, um, when there's a patient who's arresting, there's a rigid hierarchy within the trauma team, and yeah. they almost become a different a different person. They become a different team in those scenarios. Yeah. Apart from, and then it goes down to like that flatter hierarchy where you can just approach people about problems and i think that's appropriate in you know 99.9 percent of cases well yeah i mean it depends so businesses i mean the market the market rewards excellence and efficiency typically generally speaking there's a there are there's crony capitalism and there's monopolies and there are perversions but at a fundamental level the market rewards excellence and efficiencies 
And that's where I think that the, when you have, like, maybe not, it's not about imposing a strict hierarchy, but about efficient operations, efficient teamwork. I think that's a huge value. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think a company that's going to be super lax, I mean, I, listen, I, um, at the time of this recording, I know people that work at high levels of some major big tech companies, and there's a bit of a crisis going on now because they've created these semi-utopian workplaces where it's like let's play ping pong let's do this but i mean at the end of the day like we got to get work done like we got to be efficient we got to be you can't be procrastinating you can't be lazy it is a competitive landscape uh, especially if your business is code based there's not really a huge barrier of entry it's not like you've developed some sort of manufacturing like assembly line that people can't duplicate easily because they have to build all this robotics like a teenager with a cell phone or a laptop can start coding and compete with you. And there's billions of them in China and there's billions of them in India. And so it's like these tech companies, they've made a bunch of money, but a lot of them, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking, you know, just my opinion here, but a lot of them are, are, are surviving off code that was written years ago because they've just, they, 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 that efficiency isn't there. And I think that's a real value. And I would actually really lean into that in the sense of like, I, you know, you don't want, you want to acknowledge and respect people for who they are in that, but you still want the clear, like whose butt is in what seat. There's so much that people that get lost and it mm-hmm. just depends. Right. And it, it, it kind of depends on the culture of the company. But I mean, for me, part of why I wanted to bring you on here is because I want to like this, this precision, the planning process, the prep, constant preparation, you know, I think that's a huge value add. And so can you speak to that a little bit? Like when you get into a company, like, are you, what do you look, I guess, what's your, what's your process? What's your initial, pro- I mean, obviously you begin with a diagnostic of some sort because you don't yeah. you gotta do on. So how does that process work in terms of, you know, like you, you show up at a company and, and where do you start? You start at the bottom up, do you start at the top down? What are you looking for? Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think part of the, um, the sort of, the hierarchy that we create in these businesses is skills based, not need based. Um, and what I mean by that is that we employ someone to do a job. So I'll give you a, give you an example. The um, managing director of a company that I'm currently contracted to. Um, I was talking to him, and this is kind of a good um, allegory, I guess, of how I would do a, a needs assessment. So it's the, the MD that hires me, you know, nine times out of 10. Um, and that is purely because, you know, they want to take a step back from what they're doing on the business. They want to expand and have like a larger role. And um, the current team isn't able to deliver that or they don't, they don't feel comfortable in the current team being able to deliver that. So I have a conversation with them and I say, well, okay, what's your what's your strategy what's your vision for the future what does that look like and it's important that they talk to me at a strategic level so a strategic level is what lever do you want to pull and the tactical level is how do you go about approaching and pulling that lever if they start talking to me immediately about the tactical level stuff i just nod i just nod and smile and take notes but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you're the person that needs to take a step back 
already because you're dealing with mm. stuff at a tactical level that you're employing other people to do. Mm. If they talk mm. to me clearly about strategic level problems, I think, okay, I'll, I need to make the next step. I need to make sure is that this strategy is communicated clearly. So, mm. uh, and one of the, one of the ways I highlighted this um, on my last contract was I just got the managing director to draw me a, a simple flow chart of how the organization works. You know, the same as you see in Apple, Microsoft, things like that. It's managing directors here. He runs these teams. These teams run these teams. It's a team of teams. So I said to the MD, um, so, okay, you've drawn me this. Where do you sit? And he points to the top, right at the top of the hierarchy. I say, okay, where was the last three problems that you solved? And he goes, oh, well, I spoke to this guy this morning. I spoke to this guy. You know, I spoke to this guy. I said, right, okay, that's where you are in the business. So that that level i said otherwise yeah, you'd be you're dealing not at with... the top where you think you are that's where your ego wants to be the reality is, is you've only created the systems processes and training and even accountability to 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 where this is the reality of it yeah i love that okay. yeah yeah and he, he you know so he had that re realization you know kind of in that there and then in his office he's like oh and i said that's not a problem you know i said you you are where you are what we need to do is make sure that these people aren't calling you. So, so we need to find out the reason why. I said, you might be the problem. I said, are you willing to accept that? And I think because he'd had that realization, if I'd gone into the meeting and said, you might be the problem, are you? He's like, no, I'm paying you, I'm not the problem. But because he's had that realization that yeah, I'm dealing with this That's level. I'm the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I'm paying you for. But I think because he'd had that realization, it was a, okay yeah i yeah okay is is it me so um and then i moved just moved down because that's where you know where you've been hired in from so you just moved down um and then i went and talked to the talked to the managers and the, the way i approached that so there's two ways of doing a training needs assessment you can do an over training needs assessment where you go in and you have a conversation with people and they're fully aware that you're doing a needs assessment or skill-based analysis of what they're doing and then there's a covert one where you go in and you have a conversation with someone but they don't know what the, the end game is for you they don't know that you're looking at them and we generally do this with ego-based people so um, mm. if we think there's going to be an ego problem, and I mean, we, we've used this in countries where it can really hamper, uh, I you know, I'm not pointing fingers at any particular cultures, but we use this a lot in sort of Latin and Arabic countries where there's, um, it's, it's, it's lame, lame, lame but it's always, you know, something else. And you kind of have to be a lot more humble in those situations and go, okay, well, mm. You know, let's work through this problem together. But in reality, you're thinking, well, okay, we, this would be an easy solve if you were willing to accept the solution. But yeah. we just have to kind of find another way of working around that. You know, it's macho, macho societies as well. You know, they they don't take criticism well. Um, so I kind of do both. On when I'm going into a business, I, I kind of do a little bit of both. Have a conversation with someone let them know hey you know this is what i'm looking at and i make i don't make them think that's disingenuous um, i allow them to think that the problem is somewhere else 
one, because I want mm. them to tell me what they think the problem is. And two, because I'm looking at them thinking, well, what do you think that isn't necessarily reflected in reality? You know, so you're looking for those, um, you're looking for those assessments all the time, you know, and I'm you know, more than happy when I'm finished the training cycle, I teach people, this is how you do a, a training needs analysis. This is how you can look at something. As long as you've got that objectivity, which is why people bring me in from outside, which is why they don't train someone to essentially do right. my job within the organization. Yeah, man, it's, it's your issue. kid. Yeah. It's your yeah. kid. That's why you send your kid to school and you don't like, you know, homeschool all the time. You because you mm -hmm. want someone to have an objective look and say, you know, your kid can't add up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you love your kid no matter what. Close to it. Yeah. It's a huge, huge problem. So okay, so you come in, you kind of first it sounds like you talk at a strategic level, like ask kind of what does success look like? You know, yeah. what do you think the problems are? you start getting into a tactical level where you start looking at how are goals being achieved? What are the acts, mm. you know, and then yeah. you kind of identify, it sounds like the bottlenecks and prioritize yeah. So, those. Yeah. So, I mean, I look at um, how the strategy has been disseminated as well. So I, if, if the leader has a vision, so the managing director has got a, a five-year vision, I say to the, the leadership team, I'll say, okay, what do you think? the vision is for the company in five years time. And what I want is a 80 to 90% alignment on what that is. I want them to have a clear vision and I want it to be essentially the same as the managing directors because your goal should always be a partial reflection of what you just get a microcosm. You get a snapshot of your part of that five-year plan, but you should know, but you should know what five years looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is all still part of the planning process then. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is part of the analysis process for me. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't tend to come up with a plan. Um, I'm quite happy to remain sort of fluid. Um, and generally I can, you know, I've got stuff that I can pull out of the bag um, you know, regardless. Cause generally what I do is book a um, instructional period in. And within the instructional period, I'm looking at doing the analysis. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so I it's, think it's when we quite spoke, subtle. Well, we talked before. So for people listening to my show, if you've been listening for a long time, um, you know, you may or may not know that we spent fifty thousand dollars last year researching the critical success critical success factors for small and medium sized businesses, and we found that there were eight: self efficacy, strategic planning, market intelligence, marketing strategy, sales strategy, and skills. Uh, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. And when you and I first originally, when we first met, uh, now like a month, two months ago, um, we first started talking about that. And I realized that you, your real strengths really lie in the strategic planning process and then the business operations, specifically through supporting everybody and understanding their roles. And like you even said, the, the helping with the training and development and, and even cross training. That was really kind of what came through. Like when you told me about the one guy getting like, 70 calls a day and you managed or sorry like uh like 20 12 to 20 yeah. calls a day and you managed to reduce that to by 70 percent like that's that's significant for someone that's trying to spend their day developing their product or leading the company when they're spending so much time putting out fires there's it's a real issue with operations and then at the same time they maybe haven't clearly defined the strategic plan 
So it's not necessarily that you know the plan that's going to save the day. It's that you help them articulate it and share it with the team and that you're there to really help support the backbone of the company and optimize efficiencies and teamwork. And I think that's an incredibly invaluable, invaluable skill. So now what are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel like you see happening in the clients that you've been working with? Where like anytime you're working with a company or a team, like even in the military, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see happening in teamwork, the biggest breakdowns? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think people often get communication wrong. People feel like they have to um, act differently in a leadership position. You know, they, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot in society that tells us that, you know, being a leader is, is bad being, you know, a boss is um, just inherently um, a bad thing. I think people want that. Um, people just want that sort of very um you know bossless flat um hierarchy right. um I, I think it's it's kind of the wrong way of looking at it. i think your favorite gif um you know the michael scott is uh, you know a prime example you know that's what people think that a you know manager is um you know in the monster is it kind of not needed um and I think, you know, I think my, my favorite quote was, uh, it was told to me um, after my first promotion in the military. Um, and, you know, the guy basically said, like he said, you know, hey, you're you know, Lance Corporal now. He's like, it's the, you know, it's the hardest one to get. It's the easiest one to lose because the, the colonel can take it off you. You know, you, like if you're like a corporal or sergeant, you need to go to a huge board, you know, and be formally um, charged, but the CO can just take the... Um, take the thing off there. I'm just going to move because I'm being blinded at yeah, the minute. You're getting, you're getting cut. <laughs> yeah. My... This meeting is being recorded. Yeah, so the um, it's one of my favourite quotes and the guy said, he said, hey, listen, you're not a leader because you're the smartest person in the room. You're a leader because you're responsible for everything that happens in that room. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. I love that. And that, I mean, I think, again, I think this is a societal thing. I don't think there's an easy fix to this. But I think that people have got responsibility wrong. Responsibility is an absolute privilege. It's one of the highest privileges that you can hold. Yeah. You know, as, you know, as, as a parent, you are responsible how your kids turn out that is a privilege you know you are lucky to have that awesome responsibility it doesn't necessarily mean that something is your fault i think that's the confusion is that people mm. conflate responsibility with fault mm. you get into a traffic accident and you lose the use of a leg you know it is not your fault but it's your responsibility to make the most out of your life with what you've got. Yeah, that reminds me of an acronym I use in managing teams called RACI, R-A-C-I. Who's, who's responsible, who's, you know, at the end of the day, who's accountable to help get it done, who needs to be informed, and who just needs to be consulted, R-A-C-I. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I got them out of order, but it's the you know, that's the idea. Who just needs to be informed, who needs to be consulted about decisions. 
um, who's the accountable to help get it done, and then who's the responsible person. But I love that because that's the thing, you know, like we said this before, all a company is is a group of people solving the pain of another or the problem of another group of people, and they do it with a product or service, which is why teamwork is such a, a huge part of it. You know, and all a lot of different coaching groups I've run, staff and employee issues is always a big a big topic. And I just the military is just notorious for having really efficient systems for. And I mean, I'm sure there's still upsets too, but um, just that transition of power and and enabling people to yeah. to level up and have a clear path on how do I get to that next level. All that stuff. Yeah. That you I mean, we we are not perfect. You know, I'm, I'm no. not sitting here going, yeah, the military is the be all and end all of leadership there's definitely stuff we get wrong. You know, it's, um, you know, there's bullying culture in some places, yep. you know, it's That's a, it's a stand up or more. shut up. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that the systems and frameworks and things like that, that were super useful for me and that created great work environments, you know, that helped to maximize efficiency in projects. Yeah, I think the I think the I mean the UK, the country I live in now, is is a prime example. Whenever there's a government policy failure, the military is the first one to be called in to try mm. and, and fix it. You know, we get called in when the fire service goes on strike. We get called in when um, you know we had the BSE scare uh, about twenty years ago, the mad cow disease. Um, yeah, I we, we, we were called in to you know help. Um, the agricultural industry, cull the animals, destroy the animals, transport, all that sort of thing. We were called in um, for the Ebola crisis in Sierra Leone. You know, I was privileged enough to take part in that Ebola crisis, um, and that was at what that was a World Health Organization level. The only response that the UK and the US government had, I believe, was to just send troops mm. out there because they knew. We can go at a moment's notice. We've got systems and planning and processes in place that will enable us to act swiftly. Yeah. You know, we get called in for policing now in the UK in the wake of the Ariana Grande um, and the 7-7 terror attacks. Um, mm. the, the military is the second line response after the police. So we would go out in support of policing operations. Um, you know, it's it's not because the military is this awesome, all singing, all dancing, perfect organization that can do everything. It's just they're just aware that we've got planning systems, frameworks in progress that enable us to act more efficiently. You know, we're just a pool of bodies at the end of the day, but we're a team of teams. And that's I think is the is the key factor in our success. Yeah, I, I sorry, someone just started grinding metal outside, but I agree 100%. So can you, that was great. Can you repeat, what are some of the, the habits and like that you feel that are so critical to how it, you already talked about it just now, you just said it, but this guy's grinding metal and I, I didn't hear, but you just said that, you know, again, you're not perfect, but you've got the systems and that like, what are some of the, 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 the commandments, so to speak, like the 10 commandments mm. that you feel that make it so, so flexible and agile mm. and effective? Yeah, I, th I think it's uh, a lot of it's down to the planning process. Um, to be to be quite honest, um, we've got a really awesome uh, planning process. Uh, it's called the Seven Questions Framework. Um, it's not seven questions; it's between ten and thirteen, depending on what you're doing. But they just kind of lump some of them together because seven is the magic number, you know. Um, seven habits of highly effective people and all that. Um, 
yeah and also you know we've we've got the um we've got hierarchy we've got our own infrastructure that is integral to us that we look after you know so um that's in place but yeah i mean the, the planning tools massively um everyone kind of keeps themselves in shape um yeah. you know forcibly or otherwise yeah i mean there, there's a culture of excellence as well there's uh yeah i had a boss who i'd i'd go in and tell him oh yeah you know this uh yeah this task is completed and he'd say are you happy with it are you happy to walk away <laughs> You know, I really put you on the spot, man. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't even a trick question. He, he was genuinely mm. just asking, are, "Are you happy to put your name to it?" And you'd be mm. like, "Yeah," and he'd be like, "Oh, okay." Uh, but it'd force you to think, like, "Am I happy to put my name on it? You know, is is yeah. this you know the best that I can do?" Um, but I think equally, you know, there's the uh, we've we've got the idea of what is important down as well you know, mm. we're, we're not um you know we don't check boxes uh we try not to check boxes pointlessly now it's a it's a modern organization you know i think the british army was famous in the 1960s for people peeling you know they spend all day peeling potatoes as part <laughs> of their like yeah what we call like national service which was like conscription effectively um yeah. post second world yeah. war um yeah. you know my granddad was in his national service and he said he once spent three days um you know seven till seven uh, and he was just painting coal white um because they were like well we need you know we need something to do and so they were like yeah, oh yeah, paint. yeah, yeah. i think it was the queen was visiting or something they didn't want yeah. her to see um they didn't want to see like black sooty coal so they said yeah. we'll just paint it white you know uh, you know, we've been. It's like uh, remember being uh, on guard once, and it was uh, we received an order, and it was uh, sweep up all unwanted puddles. And you're like, great, let's do that in the rain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, talk about a useless task. That's so. Yeah. So I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, coming the backgrounds. Now, is there? I mean, is, what would you recommend to someone that's struggling? If someone feels like right now they've got a dysfunctional team or they know that they've got issues in their processes, if they know that they their business is suffering because it doesn't have that lightning kind of speed military precision mm. in the operations, do you have any recommendations for that kind of a person if they're listening to it now? Is there any practical sort of place that they can get started? Yeah, of course. Uh, just give me a call. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah. No, but for real, yeah. let's do that. You brought it up. So for real, no, just because he mentioned it. No, it's legitimate. Um, if you have, if can they email you if they have a question? Yep. Uh, emails yeah. Rich Johnson, all one word, at kaizenmindset.net. So it's K-A-I-Z-E-N mindset.net. Um, I can right. drop links and things like that. Yeah, no. if you've got a question, you can find them on LinkedIn. You can shoot them an email. It's R-I-C-H. J O H N S O N at kaizenmindset.net. So shoot him an email if you got a question. Um, I mean, that's probably the best thing because it's hard to give blanket advice to people that are just listening to this now. Um, yeah. And again, it's. I, can, I yeah. can definitely do it though. I can definitely give yeah. some blanket advice. So yeah. my, yeah, my first probably piece of advice would be to get as objective as possible. Um, if you can get someone in to give you a second opinion, um, because everyone loves their baby, um, 
you know, no one sees, uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know as well. So getting another um, perspective is always um, a good start. Um, failing that, just boil it down to the brass tacks, boil it down to as basic, as simple as possible, boil down what you want to do. Um, set what we call standard operating procedures or SOPs. Um, it's a pretty common term in business now, but um, set standard operating procedures. So you, you are making as few decisions as possible throughout the day, you know, because we've all seen that decision fatigue creep in. What, what, again, one of the things the military is really great at is setting standard operating procedures. So people act a certain way every time something happens. So an SOP is an if then by statement that saves you time and energy. So a classic example, if I buy apples from the store or they get delivered to me in the farm box that I order and I put them in the crisper in the fridge, they will 100% go moldy and I will never eat an apple. If they're on display, I will eat them. So my if then by statement is when there's apples in the kitchen, they don't go in the crisper, they go into the fruit bowl, they remain on display and I will eat them. And that is <laughs> a scientific fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they will, they will not go moldy because I will eat them. And if you need the, if you need the data to back that up, then find it. It's available mm. for you if it's something that's mm. happening. Another classic mm. example is if someone outreaches to you, if you get a communication from someone, get back to them within 24 hours, even if it's a, hey, sorry, I don't have an answer yet. It's been 24 hours. Give me another 24 hours to find you an answer. So mm. if a client contacts you, then you book an appointment with them, get it in your calendar, set yourself a reminder, alarm on your phone, something like that. Yeah. to get back to them by a certain time so there's a xyz formula that you go through every single time i love that now how about yeah. keeping sops alive because that's the big issue that i know a lot of people come through they create sops but then they just go in a shelf that's never looked at how do you does that come around to another sop like to have pull that off the shelf every now and then to have designated time to to go yeah through it? i mean for, for me, if there was an SOP that wasn't being used, it's an SOP that's not working. Um, mm. So you probably need to find out why that is. So if your outreach SOP isn't working, why is that? Is it because it's going somewhere mm. that, you know, it, it's not measured? There's also an element of automation on there. Mm. So uh, in the military, we call them immediate action drills or IA drills. Um, so, for example, your weapon stops firing. The immediate action drill is to immediately cant the weapon to the left and you look at the cocking handle of the weapon and that'll tell you if it's fully forward, there's probably something you need to do. If it's back all the way, you can look inside and diagnose problems from there. So immediate action mm. drills in corporations and companies, that's called automation a lot of the time. So you need to find out if your chatbots are working you need to find out if um so for example my calendly is automated so if someone books a calendar link it automatically blocks that time off in my calendar 
if I mm-hmm. put something into my calendar, it automatically blocks that time off in my calendar. And if right. I change my web address or something like that, I need to go and ensure that that process still works. I need to make sure it blocks time off in my calendar and vice versa. If my calendar blocks off and it communicates. So that automation right. in place is, um, is quite important with your immediate action drills. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I've got a really, really great um, PDF document on just creating SOPs and going through a simple mm. formula. So I'm happy to make that available. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's give your email again. So if anybody wants that PDF, just send us an email, Rich Johnson, R-I-C-H-J-O-H-N-S-O-N at kaizenmindset.net, K-A-I-Z or Z-E-N mindset.net. And you mentioned you have a Calendly too. If, if anybody of my, if any of the followers wants to get on, do you have like 30, 15, 30 minutes? Would you hop on with someone if they, yeah, they just absolutely. had a pretty question one to ask? Yeah. 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 So, so um, I mean, all, I call yeah. it virtual coffee. Um, just let me know. I'll, I'll get a fresh pot of coffee, you know, and we can just yeah. sit and I'm happy, more than happy to talk through, you know, what, what's going on with you, what you think mm. the problem is. Um, and it's obviously just at that personal level. You're more than happy to, uh, you know, give advice. Okay. So I know on your website, there's a link, kaizenmindset.net. If they go there, there's a link to book a call, but they can just go directly. If you're, if you're web URL savvy, you can go to calendly.com, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y.com. Yeah, slash rich underscore Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N. So you can just go to kaizenmindset.net and find his book a call there. But then also you can just go to calendly.com slash rich underscore Kaizen and ask him your direct question yourself if you think you've got a burning question or if you're struggling with this. I, I want the PDF. Can you send me that PDF after this? Because I think that would be really valuable. I think it's really, that's a great, because that's such an important process. They say anytime you do something more than three times, you should have an SOP. If you do yeah. something in your business more than three times and there's no SOP, you could be doing it inefficiently. Or if you're the leader, why are you doing that? That's something that you should delegate. That's the whole concept. If you want to make $1,000 an hour, stop doing $5 an hour work. And how do you do that? Well, so here's the other thing. It was a lot of people feel they complain about staff, but something a lot of people don't realize is that, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense in any way, but the person has come to you for a job because they need instruction. They're not like, that's a big part of this. Like if people oftentimes, if they had better skills, if they were, if they were a superstar and everything, they probably wouldn't be there to serve coffee for you at Starbucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you're capable of running a multi-million dollar company then you're probably not going to sit on the front counter at Starbucks. And it's not, again, it's not saying anything derogatory. It's so business owners understand that you are the leader, you are the vision, you are the workaholic, you love all this, you have these unique skill sets that allows your business to give unique value. You can't expect everyone that shows up on your door to know that as well. But uh, most of them are trainable. But that's where you need an SOP. And that's why I think that's such a good that's such a good giveaway. So yeah. And uh, I mean, this this is one of the things that I I think as well. Um, I think it's a Richard Branson quote, but you know, I absolutely love it. Um, It's train people so that they could leave at any time, you know, so you give him mm. what, what I always say is give your managers CEO level confidence and then yeah. treat them well enough that they never leave. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's, it's quotes like 
give the ones you love wings to fly, but enough reasons to stay. Like yeah, that kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, like I, love I love that. that. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, I mean, all, all you're doing is it, it doesn't take any power away from you when you create lieutenants, when you create or lieutenants, um, depending on where you are in the world. Um, it doesn't take any power away from you. People, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the saying? Knowledge is power and people don't like sharing power. It was like, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't take any, it empowers you to empower other people. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, the, the traditional sort of method of growing um, a business is to hire in, you know, hire in higher level people and, you know, keep the bottom line and just add, you know, a few workers every now and again. The, what I would personally look at doing is to keep all the people that started the business with you, keep them all, hire to retire, and just move them up the chain because you're giving them mm. the skill set, you're giving them the confidence. If you pay, you know, you, you might pay um, someone to come into the business at a director level. You might pay them eighty thousand dollars as a one-off. They're gonna, right. they might stay five years, move up the ladder. You're then gonna pay someone else eighty thousand dollars. But between that, you're gonna be paying ten thousand. You know, just to yeah. advertise, yeah. recruit. You know, you're and taking the time money. and all that, and the interviewing. Yeah. 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 So if you if you go through, I think the math is if you go through ten workers a year. It costs you about a hundred thousand in gapping the jobs, recruiting. You know, if you're keeping people for the lifetime, not only are you saving money, but you're keeping the spirit and integrity of the business alive as well as they just kind of move up the ladder, hire to retire, gold watch out. Yeah. You promote and someone else with Sorry to cut you off, but there's intrinsic value in the sense of. A lot of companies have bottlenecks when there's a sacred knowledge problem where all oh, that one person is the bottleneck. But it's also on the flip side where these people, if they've been with you for 10 years, they know things that you don't aren't even aware of. It's like when mm. people get divorced and they say, like, I feel like I've lost. It's that shared memory that you have with mm. that person. So I think there's power in that as well. Yeah. Now, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I know we're coming up on the end of an hour. Now, is there I've got so many more things I want to ask you about. I might have to have you back for another interview, but is there anything I haven't asked you up to now that I probably should have asked you? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, no, I'm happy to come back. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the, the main thing that people are missing out on now in, in a lot of their business is you're building a culture mm-hmm. within a business. So it's all well and good saying to someone, well, you know, I've empowered you, you decide how to do it. You as the director, as the CEO, as the founder, you should be making decisions on how the business acts in a certain way. And that's the superpower that SOPs can give you is that Mm -hmm. the business acts the same way with all the customers. So, you have it when you call. So I um, booked some insurance recently um, for my car. Um, I got a better deal for the same provider. So I went to a platinum package instead of the gold. They didn't cancel the gold package. They billed me for both. So I just called mm. up and said, like, oh, hey, you know, can I cancel this? And 
um the the attitude was really really um you know stuffy this girl didn't want to be there i don't think i didn't think she really wanted to help um so you know I'd, after about five or ten minutes i just said hey look you know can i speak to the manager um the manager called me back after 20 minutes to say hey i've just listened to the recording and i am you know so sorry for the way that this has been treated um and i did i kind of just did a little diagnosis with the manager i said well you know who trains you know who trains your staff they said oh you know it's um she said the problem with the culture is that so if you're you're a salesperson right um and you get oh you know you're you're head of the sales team now but you're still a salesperson mm-hmm. are you going to teach a new starter a hundred percent of your tricks you know a hundred percent of how you do what you do if you right. think that you're going to be competing in three months time yeah, yeah, yeah you're competing yeah, yeah, for the yeah. same clients you know yeah. that's that's the culture that we need to step away from you need to be mm. making abundantly clear to your sales people hey look i love that you're training new starters you're not competing for the same clients we're expanding so you're competing with different clients i want you to teach them how we as a business operate i want everyone to have that sort of i call it holistic integrity of the business mm. Mm. yeah i think so, it goes back to that culture of excellence you mentioned i think that's really important and I, I, and because when you were talking, what I was thinking about was how, like at the time of this recording, we've just gone through two years of a pandemic and there's a lot of people like, and I get it, I get it. You want to set something and forget it, right? The idea of uh, like automation that makes me money is great, but the reality is, is the, the world is not standing still and any, and you're either growing or stagnating. And so you really want this culture of excellence. And almost like you said, in that scenario with the sales rep, they're, it's like a rent seeking mentality. Like I just want to find this parasitic position where I'm here latched on and I've got it good and I'm going to just suck it for all it's worth as opposed to, I want to be the best sales rep possible. I want people that push me to be better. So we grow better. And it, and we just, we all do better with like less effort at a momentum. Like if you were on a, if you talk about sales team, if you were on a sales team with five killers, you know, like five, just amazing Phenomenal people of phenomenal character, phenomenal networkers, phenomenal at understanding people and empathizing with them and really helping connect them with products that they serve and just grind and like, you know, doing every day. Like that's just, it's infectious. It's like you said, but so anyway, I'm not, you were, in, I didn't mean to take the mic, but it's that no, culture no. of excellence. I think that that's really what you're getting to is it's having this culture of excellence, not this culture of rent seeking and comfort. And I just want to be in this place and be comfortable and just do the bare minimum. And I think that that's a really important thing. And it's hard to have staff if they don't feel like they have growth and opportunities and development. If they just feel like I'm just a, I'm just here to push the monkey button, like I'm just yeah. watching the clock yeah, to yeah, get yeah. my paycheck and go home, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's the yeah. that's the story of uh, of an efficiency consultant. He's helping with the pyramids, and he's. You know, he goes up to the first guy and he's, he's been hired to help them with building the pyramids and improve efficiency. I don't know if you've heard this. I forget where I heard it. It's like Napoleon Hill or something. And he like goes over to the first guy and he's like, what are you doing? And the guy's really grumpy. Like, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm smashing rocks. Like, go away, but you know, leave me alone. And he goes up to this other guy. And he's like, oh, what's up with that? And he goes up to this other guy who's doing a little bit better. Um, but the guy's obviously still not, you know, top performer. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, can't you see? I got a quota to meet. I'm trying to make my quota. Like, leave me alone. 
And he goes to this third guy, and this third guy is just crushing it. And this guy is doing such amazing work with amazing attention to detail. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm building a legacy that will last forever. You know, and it's that, it's that, it's that same, that vision yeah. in what you're doing. And uh, but yeah, so yeah, I love a big it. picture mindset. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was, uh, okay. reminds me of a. Uh, have we got time for one more? One more little. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you'll like this one. It's set in Canada. So this, uh, so this British guy, um, he's a top lumberjack in in the whole of England. And uh, he goes out to the World Lumberjack um, Convention in Canada. Obviously, in Canada, best lumberjacks in the world, right? And right. Um, he decides he's like, gets to the final, and he's, you know, there's this big Canadian guy. He looks like a grizzly bear in a check shirt, sort of thing. You know, and he's holding this big axe, and this guy's like, I'm going to outwork. I'm going to outwork this guy, you know, for every hit. I'm going to hit harder. You know, I'm going to match him like stroke for stroke to fell these trees. So uh, it's eight hours. You get as, cut as many trees down as you can in eight hours. So they both set off at the same time. And this the British guy is just matching stroke for stroke. Thunk, thunk. And you can hear, you know, off in the distance, he can hear thunk. And he's like, I'm every single one, I'm going to match him. You know, thunk, thunk. 45 minutes into the competition and you can hear in the distance that the thunking has stopped. So he goes, okay, I'm going to work even harder while he's not working. And then I'm going to match him stroke for stroke. So he's like, okay, so 10 minutes, 15 minutes, he just, you know, he gets two or three trees down, comes back and, you know, you can hear the thunking again. So he's like, right, stroke for stroke, thunk, thunk. And this goes on, you know, for hours. And every, you know, sort of 45, 50 minutes, the sound on the other side of the woods stops. And he's like, right, I've got, you know, five or 10 minutes now to work as hard as I can. Thunk, thunk. He's, you know, knocking these trees down. He's absolutely exhausted. He's covered in sweat. So it gets to the end of the eight hours. And uh, so they measure how many trees have been cut down. You know, they dock a few points there for leaving boughs, you know, half open and you know, trees that have right. been felled in the wrong direction and stuff. And this Canadian guy is won by a country mile. You know, he's 10, 15 trees ahead of the Brit. And the Brit is, you know, he just doesn't understand. He's devastated. Yeah. And he, he's in the bar that evening. The Canadian guy comes and sits down. You know, the whole table, like, jumps up where he sat down. And he's just sipping on his uh, kokanee. And um, the Brit guy goes up and says, can I buy you a beer? Yeah, yeah sure, eh? And he goes, okay, and buys him a beer. And he says, listen, I matched you stroke for stroke, you know, for 90% of the time. So stroke for stroke. And then when you took a break, I worked even harder. And the Canadian guy goes, I didn't take a break. He says, what do you mean? I heard you stop. And he was like, I was sharpening my axe. That's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I'll tell you, you've probably heard that before, but it's, no, no, it's no, such no. a well, great story. If I had seven hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend six of them sharpening my axe. But that's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. It yeah, shows that, so that if, hard, if hard work was enough, more people would be millionaires. If hard work on its own was enough, 
It's like your kids. If love was enough, everyone's kids would be healthy, happy, successful. It's not. Yeah. There really are secrets. There really are secrets. There really are tricks to it. There really are these things that come like the the Inuit, the, the they used to call them Eskimos, Eskimos, but it's not politically correct. The Inuit up north, they have five words for snow because they have such an intimate knowledge of it and the mm. textures of it and the seasonality of it. Like that's a, that's like a tactile knowledge. That's just not something that you can read a book yeah. and watch a YouTube video and get. So no, I yeah. love that. I love that so much for people yeah. listening to this. If you're interested in having that sort of tactile knowledge and help with your teams, with your operations, with bringing the benefits of military planning and organization to your company, so you can have a culture of excellence, so you can operate with lightning speeds, so you can have people supporting each other better in your company, go check out kaizenmindset.net, K-A-I-Z-E-N mindset.net. Give Rich an, e, uh, an email if you got a question, R-I-C-H-J-O-H-N-S-O-N at kaizenmindset.net. Or if you're not going to waste his time, if you got legitimate questions and you're serious about possibly wanting to do something and work with him, go book a time on his calendar. You can check out the website, kaizenmindset.net, or go to calendly.com slash R-I-C-H rich underscore kaizen. And obviously he's spending some time here. He's a great guy. I mean, I've, I've loved every moment that I've spent with him. He's, he's, he's just, a great i mean i just don't want to blow hot air up your butt <laughs> but i brought him on the show here for no reason other than he's just been an amazing friend to me and very supportive and you can just really tell he knows his stuff and as a guy that helps companies do millions and that i know how important operations and teamwork and collaboration and planning is and so i knew that you had some goods and i definitely want to bring you back to ask you more thank you again so much rich for everything and i, I can't wait to bring you back on the show again soon Thanks for having me, Daryl. It's been really, really great. And again, you know, I think we've built a real friendship up over the last, um, yeah, definitely the last few months of uh, We're working together. Without any, without any yeah, help. yeah. I'll probably go get a haircut or something. Shave my beard, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Start looking alive. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, it's been awesome, man. Take care. Take care.